Hello again, everybody. Today we'll explore a host of news, but first, one's post on LinkedIn got him removed from the platform. Jeffrey Epstein's name crops up again in a court document involving the owners of Pornhub. And from California to New York, vaccine passports and propaganda are all the rage as we added a new federal holiday as a symbolic if divisive gesture. Hello again, everybody. This is uh, Jason Powers. Um, it's a Friday, um, June 18th. So there's a lot of news and, uh, to talk about, and there's really no good way to go about talking about it, I guess, because there's so much of it. So well, I guess I'll start with a personal story. So last night, uh, I was actually going uh, through my LinkedIn feed and was... Uh, Oh, I was just, you know, seeing what was up and seeing who I could, who to like and all that kind of stuff. Basically, like, LinkedIn is just a, a glorified Facebook with, you know, some uh, courses, which led me to a course that was posted about microaggression in the workplace, which was entertaining in, in and of itself because um, I knew something a little bit about the history of the microaggression uh, course. Uh, a guy uh, actually who, who developed it, uh, Dr. Daryl Wing Sue, who I hadn't really paid a lot of attention to in a number of years, but now LinkedIn was putting together a whole uh, uh, course uh, outline, and I downloaded some of their uh, videos, or actually, uh, you know, uh, took uh, snapshots of the videos, two or three minutes. There were two or three minute segments, and anyway, we'll play a clip from uh, a clip of one, and then uh, we'll go from there. Was working hard in the workplace, school, or in a social setting. You see, it's easy to cite the obvious overt behaviors of racism, like using race-based slurs or threats. 
But more subtle and insidious forms of racist stereotyping can be hard to pin down. It's important to know that racism comes in many forms, but there are two categories, overt and covert, and microaggression is covert. So where does the term microaggressions come from? It's not just another euphemism or fancy code word for racism. It's researched and well-studied. Microaggressions was coined after the civil rights era by Professor Chester M. Pierce and revived in recent years by psychologist Daryl Wing Sue. Microaggression by technical terms is defined as brief and everyday exchanges that act as insults or send denigrating messages to marginalized groups. The micro in microaggression refers to person-to-person interactions, while the macro refers to systemic racism. Systemic racism includes social structures and institutions. For example, your employer choosing to only recruit at Ivy League or Big Ten institutions that disproportionately have lower numbers of Black or Indigenous people of color is the macro in the macroaggressive behavior. But when they find talent of color at those institutions to recruit, saying things like, you're different than what I expected. This is the micro in microaggression. Microaggressions are constant stings and barbs, and studies show that they negatively impact job satisfaction, self-esteem, and physical and mental health of marginalized professionals. As with any buzzword, the meaning gets diluted at best and ignored at worst. But that doesn't erase the harmful impacts. According to the Center of Talent and Innovation, race discrimination outside of work affects the majority of underrepresented employees. 78% of Black employees, 52% of Asian employees, and 50% of Latinx employees say they've experienced discrimination or bias outside of work and are fearful of it for themselves or their families compared to 28% of white employees. So there's a, uh, a brief sample of, uh, this was actually a video three of the, the course outline. I didn't go through the entire course. I went through the first three modules. That was enough. They're like two to three minute segments. And I don't have a problem with someone uh, presenting this situation the way they want to present it. What I do, I do find interesting is that this is just toxic towards uh, uh, developing a work, uh, workplace cohesion. Um, it is pretty obvious to someone like me who's been in a wide variety of situations. I mean, from from youth on up through uh, adulthood and workplace, etc. I've been in different Fortune 500 companies. I've been on the floor in, in different 500 companies as an industrial engineer. That doesn't mean that I'm somebody special. But I had to always work or coordinate between management and labor and honestly, I felt over time, I, there was a time in my uh, life that I, I was actually probably more on the side of labor. And by that, I mean um, even in, in, in union shops. And I can see the management point of view. Uh, they were always pressing for improvements and reduction of labor, actually. Labor costs in particular. So you're looking for efficiency. But one of the biggest things is being able to talk and discuss things openly with uh, employees, what their problems are, what their uh, uh, abilities are, and what their what they think they their solutions are to their situations. And it's never easy because one of the biggest problems that most of these companies have is uh, their investment in capital, in human capital in, in particular, uh, developing employee skills and, and developing their uh, their backgrounds and improving their achievement levels in terms of how they 
um, I guess to say basically access education, access skills to to uh, go from being line workers to supervisors and supervisors to uh, uh, area managers to even being basically the top management. Now that's that's the model that I think is achievable called you know promoting from within. But many times these companies, they just bring in these outside consulting firms and HR people, and they bring in people that would discuss things like this who are actually destroying uh, companies. They're destroying companies through their, their promotion of these toxic ideas, this microaggression, and turning people as putting people in little categories based upon their race or their gender, by the way, either one. But racist seems to be the big, is the big thing that's going on right now, the CRT. You'll notice in just that brief clip how much uh, racism has dropped in. It's not about, it's, it's not subtle. It's not subtle at all. It's, a, it's actually quite de- demeaning and demoralizing to the people that are, would, would go through this. Now they're, they're using this because they're trying to weed out people based upon their color and their, or their basically their background. Their ethnic background, particularly white people, they're targeting white people, and it's being done by people who are white, who are white CEOs and stuff like that. This this uh, mentality that uh, liberals have, uh, I call them liberals. They really are leftists at this point. They're no longer. They're so far left now that you can just call them outright, you know, Marxist and communists. Because uh, they don't believe they they they're never going to go to the point where they're a stateless, but they're they're actually harnessing the the powers of the state, uh, and they're doing the bidding of the state, which is a far left uh, situation right now. Because they're trying to drive home all these inane policies, and they're driving home all these uh, race based manipulations in the military in Washington D.C. But these corporations are doing it too. You know, all, and, and behind it all is people like this uh, Daryl Wing Su, who I went into his background. He was, he's a teaching psychologist at Columbia University. He was raised as a, he's a Chinese American. He was a second generation, so he was born in the United States in Portland. That was where he came from. His parents evidently he felt he was a tease too much as a, in his early childhood, and yet he's in psychology, and now he has built a whole entire career out, out of propagating. Uh, racist or racism and microaggression as his hustle. I call it his hustle because uh, he seems to have a, uh, have a uh, he has embraced this idea that he needs to be a victim and he needs to continue to be a victim. This is a person who works as a professor at, a, at Columbia University, one of those elite schools that she mentioned, the, the elite and the Big Ten schools that she thinks is uh, uh, biased or whatnot. It's kind of interesting because, honestly, if you come from any university and if you are capable, it'll show up in your interview. It will show up in in your presentation of your skills on your resume in your uh, thing. There's very, uh, a matter of fact, what is usually the case is that employers are looking at your resume and seeing if you have the qualifications for the position. At least initially to vet you into a, a, a particular uh, grouping of people. They have to vet for the skill sets. Um, and, and many times that those skill sets are hard to come by. You know, 
whether you code or whether you have uh, a ability to work with SAP, whether you have uh, abilities to uh, market yourself or mar- do marketing work or advertising, or whether you're a competent engineer, or whether you uh, have the ability to use uh, certain uh, drafting programs and whatnot. They're looking to see if you had those capabilities listed on your resume, at least initially. They get you sorted into the category that they need in order to interview you. And then they interview you for your soft skills. They interview you, can you work with people? Can you can you talk and, and, and discuss things in a rational manner? Can you, can you pr- do a presentation quickly? Can you think off the top of your head? These things are not. These things are not uh, unusual to ask a person in an interview. These are actually what you would go about doing in order to, to achieve the, the idea of employment. And so those who can do and those who can't have to work harder at becoming better at those things. Or they need to uh, work on being an entrepreneur. Uh, one of the biggest problems that has come about in the last 15 to 20 years, or at least certainly since uh, 2009, is we've had such a poor... Uh, poor uh, avenue when it comes when we're under a Democrat administration of bolstering people's ability to become entrepreneurs. Instead, they're they're, they're creating a, a entirely dependent class of people in order to achieve control and domination over the American public. They're not interested in individuals and their ideas. Certainly not out on Silicon Valley's uh, doorstep. Um, those people are just smug and arrogant and they enjoy their power and the best way they can get their powers by anybody who happens to have a good idea they just gobble it up and then they spit them out and there's been many people who have created good platforms and ideas uh, and then they get bought up now i know many people say well that's the best way to do it you know you, you make money and stuff like that I don't think so. I think in many cases those people have have sold out, and it, and it's actually behoo- uh, it would behoove the government if they wanted to do any interference that they should work to bust up these monopolies and bust up these companies who have grown too big for their britches. But of course, they're not doing that. They're using them as a conduit to control the populace, and so they they force them into. Uh, in inequitable relationships, if you want to talk about equity, they force them into these relationships with these companies because there's there's no other game in town. That's exactly what this last year has been all about: is destruction of small businesses and property owners who who ostensibly want to run their own lives and do their own thing. And that is, uh, and that's I guess a good pivot. So. There was a, well, there's multiple articles. There was a, a opinion piece in Bloomberg, which I'll leave in the description, regarding renting. Uh, they, they think the American populace should turn into a nation of renters, which is quite a pivot from where we were just, oh, 15 years ago under uh, George uh, W. Bush, who, who uh, was promoting house ownership. And at one point we reached that, uh, I think it was like 66 or 67% of the populace had ownership of, property, uh, ownership of houses. Now, granted, uh, there was a huge uh, housing bubble created by his populace, uh, his, uh, his particular idea. Um, and mainly that was due to the fact that uh, the, the banking system... See, the banking system ran out of people who were eligible or qualified, qualified buyers of homes or loans. 
So what they had to do is lower the standards in order to keep that money hustle going on their on their own accord. They created exotic instruments to to collateralize or or to uh, put housing loans under under uh, uh, their casino model that they have, and they knew that that many of those people could not afford it. They created ninja loans, which is no income, no assets, no job, uh, and they would do that to the public because they were pumping up and goosing the the market in order to uh, uh, create asset inflation. And they could, uh, you know, most of those uh, most of those uh, houses, you know, they they weren't they were all debt laden. And they wouldn't allow the. Uh, they basically created a. They created the bubble. They created the market crash. Um, they did so while they were making bonuses on Wall Street. Now the people that were involved in flipping these homes, many of them, you know, did okay, but a lot of them didn't because they got involved in that thing. There is a certain point in everybody's life where you realize that you can afford a home and you set your savings in order to put a down payment and then a home is an investment. It used to be an investment for 10, 20, 30 years. Well, the the people on Wall Street don't want that. They want you to flip that thing. They want you to get they want you to keep on flipping and getting into bigger and bigger asset classes so that they can get you hamstrung through debt. The whole entire time, instead of buying something or getting near getting it bought outright and and buying into a a particular home size and staying with a, co- a company for a certain amount of time, see that's where you get into the idea of what the difference between being a liberal is and what being a conservative is. Conservatives are are supposed to think in a long term perspective and they think about uh, building wealth. They think about being stable, having a good job, or having a good a small business if they're entrepreneurial. Uh, whereas a liberal usually are young, Im- uh, impulsive, and they they uh, the in one particular example the the Democrat Party has exploited that to great end. This instant instant gratification that comes from uh, being able to to uh, get it through debt, and uh, Wall Street has exploited that. These people are evil, in my estimation. BlackRock is evil. They're going out buying up homes right now. They're buying it overpriced, but they're doing it because they know asset inflation is coming, and they're gonna, they're gonna, but they want to own that, and they're taking it. They're gonna, they're gonna go ahead and they're gonna re, re, uh, buy it, and then they're gonna sell that stuff out at, uh, or rent it out at a higher price, and it's just evil what they're doing, and this is. This goes to the Daily Mail. So, an American where, America where your kids can't afford to keep your money. Middle-income families discuss with Biden's twisted death tax that would force many to sell what they inherit just to be able to pay the bill. Biden's death tax would impose capital gains of $1 million or more after someone dies. There are more than 3 million homes nationally worth at least $1 million, and the number continues to rise. The person who inherits it would have to pay 40% of the increase of the asset value from when it was purchased to, to when they received it. So, for example, uh, let's just say you received it, uh, you got a, a home, uh, or uh, the person who inherits inherits a home that initially was uh, evaluated at you know a half million dollars and now it's worth uh, one and a half million dollars so you got a million dollar difference so they'd have to come up with the 400 uh, they're talking about the difference or the would have to pay 40 percent of the increase in that so you have to pay four hundred thousand dollars to keep the home so you'd have to pay if the home tripled in value 
and now that's an assessment and and that that's beyond my capabilities to know what you know how assessors go about it and there's a whole host of uh, dynamics that go where you live and stuff like that and that but the point is is they're trying to purposely strip people of their wealth any acquisition any middle class and this is this is going to the great reset this is where uh, we're heading this is what happens when you allow leftists take over countries they are so evil they strip people of their their dignity their wealth their ability to to ostensibly take care of themselves they make them dependent upon the government and then most importantly they strip you of your your freedom of speech and then they strip you of your uh, your ability to protect yourself from them in most cases that's why they don't want the United States to have any guns. That's why the Democrats are always pushing that hustle that you don't need guns. You know, guns are evil. Guns are bad. Guns cause problems. Uh, a well-regulated, a well put this way, a well-armed populace can keep down violence. The problem that has been going on this past year, and on purpose, by the way, this has been a, an objective of the Democrat Party in all the cities, has been to to uh, ignore law enforcement, to to put the law enforcement under a microscope and exploit any situation that involves anything related to race in order to gen up gen up antagonism towards the police so they can quote unquote defund the police so they can run off good cops so that they can bring in bad cops who won't enforce the laws or enforce the laws in a one sided manner because they'll be given directive by DAs, judges the local, the local, the local machine that the Democrats have always used to control society—they are—they they are the epitome and the backbone of all the evil that isn't in this country. They are the racist. They are the evil. They destroy things with everything they touch. Every time they touch a city, they destroy the. Ba- they they literally keep people down. They keep down the entire black community. I feel so sorry for those people. I do. I feel sorry for them. And you know what? I understand where they come from. I understand because I grew up in the South in the 1970s. I used to live in a town that was heavy, it was very heavily populated with both dynamics. I guess you could say uh, color, if you want to call it for lack of better terms. I was there when they de- de- uh, desegregated busing. And, I mean, I used to ride on a... Uh, I remember riding on... Uh, there's one black girl's lap over and over again because the bus was so crowded, and we drove all over all over Ten Buck Three. We went from the went from the the middle school to the high school, and then we had to go all the way around. The I mean, I, I took it, I was one of the last people to get off the bus. It took 45 minutes for uh, my afternoon drive to get to get home from the time I got on the bus. So I'd get home. I get out of school at three thirty, and I wouldn't get I get home until at least going going on four fifteen or four thirty. So yeah, every day I had to ride the bus for that long. And I remember when we got to the high school, uh, you know, obviously the bigger kids would would uh, get the seats, and it would be so crowded that we'd be two and three uh, kids to a to a seat. And at some point, you just you know, I remember sitting on those one black girl's lap over and over again because you know we. I guess you could say we got along or whatever. I don't remember her name, but it, it, long story short, she was, uh, you know, so she, you know, as a white guy, as a white kid, as a as a fourth or fifth grade, <laughs> and you're on a, a 10th or 11th grader's lap, you know, it's kind of weird, but that's the way it was, and I know I find that, I just find it appalling that, even given that, um, 
and this was just in a regular small this is a small mid-sized uh, town in, in uh, Tennessee I can't imagine what it's like in the inner cities um, you know we've seen all the dilapidation and uh, and the way they uh, handle and treat things we've seen the degradation of Chicago you know Chicago is back to where it was probably in the uh, the seventies and in the same way with New York, they're in promoting and, and actually ginning up all the crime and these people, these mayors and these local, uh, the representatives of those districts are, should be ashamed of themselves. Baltimore, for example, is a horrible place. Um, the way they, they set that out. I'm just so disgusted with the way Every time Democrats take over anything, they destroy everything there is, and they think they're reimagining things. They're not. They're just hamstringing these people forever. And you know how they get it? They buy them off. They buy off the women especially. They say, here, here's some more food stamps. Here's some more aid. They keep them dependent, so they'll keep on voting for them. And, of course, they don't, they look at it as, oh, well, what choice do I have? The Republicans don't do anything for them. The problem is you never vote in any Republicans. And I'm not talking about the fucking rhinos. I'm talking about the people who will stand by a conservative thing, a conservative platform, which is to provide jobs, to to work with the, the, work with the populace to actually build better uh, uh, communities, to educate the kids in a, a proper manner, not just, you know, it's not just throwing money at the problem. That's always, the, that, that's always, it's funny. Government is all about throwing money at the problem. Whereas if you work in a private center, they do everything they can to not throw money at the problem at all. Uh, they hire people to come in and supposedly do expert analysis and, and figure out where they can uh, reduce waste and all this other shit. Usually, most of the time, if they're owned by a company like a KKR out there, they leverage buyout and then they sell off all the good assets and they they hamstring and lower and reduce the quality of their production lines and then they uh, they flip the pro, uh, flip the company back to somebody else and they they, they capture the uh, capture the benefit of it because usually they're using debt to buy up companies and debt can be written off on it's a, that's why it's a lever buy the leverage buyout that's how they goose the ROI so that they can get what they want it's it's so evil and it's been done in this country for the last 40 years while we ship our jobs overseas to China it's just it's madness it's other madness and under Trump that's that some of that stuff started to disappear but then we had these God blessed people who who can't stand to lose power at all, and they were doing anything they could to smear him, to insult him, to, to negate his, anything he ever did. And they're in the media, they're in D.C., and they are just reprehensible human beings, and they know they are, and they know that we know they are now. They know the mask is off, and that's why they're pushing so hard on all these stupid ass ideas in order to. Uh, achieve their goals they're pushing hard and fast you know uh, here's a primary example California so at the state level so Gavin Newsom uh, he talks on June uh, June 15th he starts uh, he wants to speak he spoke at a press conference and this is on the epic times so California on Friday rolled out a new system that enables people to obtain proof of COVID-19 vaccination from the state health system and present it as proof as having having gotten the jab so this is just another garbage take on them. I, 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 look, and Gavin Newsom is up for recall, and 
I can't believe if you're a Californian, you know, this is a, this is a this used to be a state that people used to go to for vacation and think it was a great place. Now it's not only overcrowded, it's got like 40 million people and people are leaving the state. They have been leaving the state. I think the population at one point got up to like 42 or 43 million. Now it's down under 40 million. What does that tell you? Everybody's trying to escape because they run their they run their state into the ground. Uh, the elite are happy out there. You know, if you're an uber elite living in Silicon Valley and making a half million dollars or a million dollars running some startup or whatever it is, or working at, you know, obviously the Googles and the Facebooks or uh, some a- Amazon outlet or whatever the hell it is, those people, they just got their nose up in the air and they could care less about the common folk. They're such a... Uh, such a disparity in the way things are and they're, they're running out of housing uh like the san francisco area is is absolutely uh, uh destroyed they don't have enough uh housing to go around that's why everything all everything's elevated um i don't want to get off on a rant there i it just it just it's just the same old bullshit that gets pushed in every way which way so now we're going to shift to uh, uh, a quick clip here. This was uh, actually <laughs> this was CBS that did this, so we'll play it and, and we'll go from there. So there you have it. They're lauding Dr. Fauci. That was um, from uh, Col- uh, not Colbert, but the whatever that that uh, English potato or Aussie potato is after him. Uh, the guy who does the drive and all that other stuff, he's an idiot, and so is uh, their little production cast. So they're doing this massive, uh, you know, vaccine, Fauci, lockdown propaganda video or propaganda set where they got dancing and they're going around and they got a little, there was a little parachute, they put his face on it. I mean, Dr. Fauci is an evil idiot. If all you got to do is read his emails and understand that he's just i mean when i say idiot he knows what he, he knows what he's doing uh he knew what he was doing he's tied to the wuhan lab he provided funding through the niaid and uh what's his face uh peter daszak who's like a zoologist he's not actually a um you know top tier virologist or whatever the hell he is i'm sure he knows what he knows but he knows how to ma- manipulate coronaviruses and uh, they were providing grants and gain of function and the whole nine yards. So Couchy knew what he knew, and he knew it a long time ago. Uh, he was even praised for it, and he was contact with. He's in contact with the Chinese uh, officials and in the Wuhan virology lab. He's a piece of garbage, and yet the left will praise him because they've doubled down on stupid the entire time. This entire time, they're just 
they I understand where they I, I think I understand where they're getting all this bullshit in their mind that they think that they're okay to do this. They think it's they think they think it's okay. Whether they're being led by the nose by the CCP or DC or the CIA, however you want to call it. What is probably more disconcerting is the number of people in our society that that have bought the entire hook, line, and sinker of how how bad and evil Trump was to the point where they said, "Well, if Trump can do that, then we can do whatever we want to," and 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 that's their that's their that's that's the level of their that there's a level of their morals, the level of their integrity. They play what aboutism. You can see it on Twitter all the time. They always play what aboutism. When you point out their flaws, they just shift to some other what aboutism. And and the what aboutism is usually a half baked idea cooked up by CNN or MSNBC or some other propaganda site where there's only they, they, or they take something he said and they put it out of context, or they take some in, incident that happened and they think that that really uh, achieves their goal. What it is is just it's just anything they they play this game of it, and they don't like to be it. They don't like to be called out for their bullshit. They want to take anything, and they think all the conservatives should take all the incoming flack, and we should uh, we should apologize for every little thing that someone else does or someone else did. You know, you know, Joe Biden hires his family. They'll go, well, Trump hired his family into the White House. Yeah, I can actually see why Trump did that for as shitty as some of them turned out to be. When I say shitty as they turned out to be, uh, their policies were probably only uh, a modicum of conservative. The funny thing is, is like, you know, Trump probably only could trust about the only people he could trust was his family. Because as it turned out, and as, as we've come to find out. Everybody in, in his administration was angling or doing stuff that was probably undermining of his entire uh, policy plan. Um, that, that was all the way up to his vice president, who was just a neocon light. Now, people say, well, that, that just shows you how stupid he is. No, it just shows that when you're elected as president of the United States, the number of people that you actually can, can uh, quote-unquote, get on board with your policy or quote-unquote control because you're supposed to have people that are you're supposed to have direct reports and they're even their indirect reports that are supposed to uh, be there for the same thing you are they're supposed to be about improving the country at least that's the way i read the constitution i don't know what the way liberals read the constitution or leftists read the constitution oh by the way they don't like the constitution so that's why they're destroying it because they don't they don't abide by anything they'll, they'll, they'll say that's just a they'll call it a they call that a fantasyful, a fantasyful idea that you should actually abide by the Constitution of the United States. You know, to them, you know, laws and rules and regulations or, or actual constitutional law doesn't matter to them. And of course, more and more every day, that seems to be the case with all the the stupid that comes out of either the court system or the legal, uh, you know, all the local courts uh, decisions. Um, the way the FBI works, the way they propagate their their uh, asshattery through the media complex. Um, matter of fact, I'm gonna play a clip here. I, I saved it up for the back end of the show, but I'm gonna play it now. This is from a movie, uh, 1993. The movie was Dave, which is uh, that's the setup to it. So um, this is uh, um, Kevin Klein playing the uh, playing. Uh, he's actually doubling for the president, but that's actually because the president was a piece of garbage, and he's like this good moral uh, person. So I'll let it play. 
begin uh, with an announcement that uh, may come as a surprise to many of you. I've uh, asked Bob Alexander to resign as White House Chief of Staff. Over the last few months, Bob and I have come to believe in different things. He thinks this country's fine and we should go about doing business as usual. I just don't feel that way. Not anymore. Because, hey, things aren't fine. We got so many problems that we don't even want to look at them anymore. They just blend together into this great big noise and pretty soon we can't even hear ourselves think. But that's not even the worst part. The worst part is that we feel like we can't do anything about it. And that's a tragedy. Because we can. We, we don't know where to start, maybe. Maybe that's what it is. But I have an idea of where we can start. From today, I'm going to make it the responsibility of this government to find a job for every American who wants one. If you've ever seen the look on somebody's face the day that they finally get a job, I've had some experience with this. It, they look like they could fly. And, and it's not about the paycheck. It's about respect. It's about looking in the mirror and knowing that you've done something valuable with your day. And if one person can start to feel that way, and then another person and another person, then pretty soon all these other problems that we're facing may not seem so impossible. You don't really know how much you can do until you stand up and decide to try. That's it. So, let's get to work. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. President. In the boldest initiative yet of the new Bill Mitchell administration, the president has proposed a comprehensive full employment program unparalleled since the days of FDR. The proposal brought swift reaction here on Capitol Hill. I think President Mitchell's on the right track. I think putting people to work in this country is what we ought to be doing. It's far better to have someone with a job they're collecting a welfare check. We're up here trying to carry the water for him. I've carried more water for him than Gunga Din, for God's sake. And then not to say this, this guy's out to lunch. He's, you know, somebody's, the lights are on, but nobody's home down there. I love it. I think it's great. Now all we gotta do is cut Star Wars and we can pay for it. I want to take a look at Bill Mitchell's proposal to see how he intends to pay for it. It's a little bit like the program I presented when I ran for president four years ago. Has the president taken leave of his faculty? I ask you, Elena Cliff. This is the definition of modern leadership. You set out a bold goal and you don't say, how are you going to get there? They tried this in Russia and they wrecked the oh, damn country. Russia. I wonder if the communists have got a hold of them. If you So, it, it's quite entertaining because the liberals always have to win. And when I say that, I say that is they, the reason why they own the media and they love to keep a hold of that media. And now they're being owned by the CCP, at least through many outlets, uh, ABC, CNN, NBC. Uh, they, they have either substantial 
ties, revenues, and or board members who control the narratives that they pump out on a regular basis there. And, and they're just destroying the Constitution, you know, on TV all night. That's what they do. That's what they're... So this was from 20... Well, 1993. So what? 28 years ago. And it's funny because... So the Democrat, you know, I, I also, uh, you know, Bill Bill Mitchell, I, I don't know if he's supposed to be a Republican, you know, and uh, the, so one of those in the voices in there was Alan Simpson, who, you know, talked about carrying his water, you know, since Gunga Den or whatever the hell it was. And the rest of them were like uh, uh, Christopher Dodd, who's talking about, well, it's better to have people working than uh, have them collect a welfare check. What's well, kind of interesting because now the Democrats are telling you, no, bro, you know, that's that's not what we really want. That was Christopher Dodd. He was a pretty powerful senator. Um, Dodd-Frank bill has uh, got his name on it. But, of course, you know, these people really never believe in anything that they actually say. They just, they just say their talking points. And, of course, it's a movie and you can take it for what you will. That's just acting or whatever else you want to call it. Uh, but it is entertaining because uh, it's quite... It's quite a uh, quite a position to say that you know the one of the most powerful things you can do the government can do is try to reach full employment, and under Trump there was some there was some movement in that regard from where we had been in two thousand nine. See, we used to have a country that that actually esteemed itself quite highly on the idea of work. Um, this is from kids on. Uh, one of the most telling statistics that you could probably look at is the the rate of the youth employment in the United States uh, from 16 to 25. In the 1990s, uh, that number was up around uh, above 50 percent. I can't remember exactly how high it was because it wasn't measured. I don't think prior to 1990 or whatever else, but it was in the 50s. I was one of those people that, and when I was a kid, I started working a paper route when I was 13. My first job was a dishwasher at 16. The day, the very day I turned 16, I went to apply for a job as a dishwasher at a, a restaurant called Dante's in Lowell, Indiana. Uh, that's telling you a lot about my background. I'm not saying that I was a great dishwasher. I'm not saying I was a great employee at 16 years old. I'm just saying I spent 20. I, on average, it was spent 25 to 30 hours a week working as a dishwasher at a restaurant. I usually worked a couple days during the week and uh, Friday and Saturdays. So Friday and Saturdays, they get there at five o'clock, and we get out of there until about one or one thirty in the morning. It was an eight-hour, eight-hour shift. On on the other weekday nights, uh, they closed, I think, at ten o'clock, if I can remember right. Sometimes eleven. I think it was eleven actually. So you show up at five, and you work from five to eleven, and you usually get out of there about eleven fifteen on 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 the weekdays. So you work a couple days during the week. Yeah, it was usually Monday, Wednesday, or Tuesday and Thursday, and I worked with my best friend at the time. Uh, he lived right down the street from me. We played on baseball teams together. He also worked alongside me as a dishwasher and on the weekends. During the week, you, uh, Monday through Thursday, you could get by with one dishwasher. Thursday was busiest day. But on Friday and Saturday nights, they had uh, uh, a very busy restaurant. Uh, we used to have uh, the, we have banquets. So you had banquet dish, uh, dinners, and some of them would go as high as 180 people. And then the average person would generate two or three dishes at least. So you'd have over 500 dishes to load up into the dishwasher, uh, prep. You have to prep them and do that kind of stuff. The point being is is that, uh, yeah, working hard at an early age uh, builds 
you know, self-confidence, builds a, a sense of, uh, of a, uh, somewhat of accomplishment, uh, to feel that you're not just being a slug. It used to be important to do that in our society. Well, as of, I think it was like 2018 or so, um, 2019, the average 16 to 25 employment rate was somewhere around 35%. So the percentage rate of young employ, uh, young and employed people, at least according to what the, was reported by the, the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, was, it had dropped at probably 15 to 20% from, from mid-50s. Now, in general, the employment of the adults is usually, it used to be around 65 to 70%. Some some groups are different than others amongst that. Women are uh, generally were more highly employed. But, of course, when 2020 took off or hit, uh, all those numbers just went haywire. But the funny thing was is that Trump, the participation rate had ticked up just a little bit from where it had been under under the Obama administration in his latter years, uh, the participation rate is your the number of people that are uh, uh, supposedly in the employment. It could be in the employment uh, uh, category, and it's always hovered. It was up to around 66. It was at one time probably about 70% back in the 80s, and it dropped about 65, 66% under Bush. And then from that point, it dropped down to a crater to down to 62.5% under Obama. Meanwhile, the unemployment rate does drop. It does drop under Obama, and it also dropped further under Trump. Trump was get and and it's harder once you have a low employment uh, unemployment rate to move that needle down even further than than before. But of course, they couldn't have that. You know, God forbid we have that under uh, Trump. They had to make the last year of his administration. They had to collapse the economy. That's why all the and, and, and you know what, and he did it to himself too. This is where he made the cardinal mistake. He declared a national emergency. If he hadn't have done that, we wouldn't have had this problem. But he had to go along with everybody who was telling him anything. And one of those people was Anthony Fauci. Fauci caused probably untold millions to lose their to lose their jobs, to lose their businesses, to displace all this, uh, all the, the gains and benefits of being a part of the middle class was all destroyed by these idiots. Or these evil people. I'm going to call them evil people because they are evil. Because they knew exactly what they were trying to do. Don't let don't let them fool you by that. They, they, they say, oh, under the guise of the pandemic. And I can hear all the people out there will cry. They'll say, you don't know what you're talking about. You know what? You killed my grandma. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay. Let's think about it for a moment. If we hadn't have been... If we had strategically deployed... The medicines that we had available, the therapeutics we had available, would we have achieved the goal of, of, of saving people's lives, especially the older people? We probably would have. If we hadn't spent so much time trying to de- 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 uh, devolve into this stupid, we need to lock down the healthy with the sick, would we have, uh, would we have uh, wrecked our economy and, and done all this? No, we wouldn't have. We had some very poor choices put put before our president and unfortunately but by declaring a national emergency the 10th amendment kicked in all the states decided to do whatever the hell they wanted to do and the red states probably came out better because they didn't lock down as much or as frequently though they had asinine rules employed in, in a host of states 
but the blue states in particular, like the New Jersey's and the New York's and the California's and the Washington's and the Oregon's, they did a bang up job of destroying their uh, their economies as long as well as Pennsylvania, Michigan, etc. Uh, and their populations. And, and here's a little fun fact that I did through my analysis. So as it turns out, as it turns out, there's a higher, there was a higher mortality rate in red, red counties in the United States than there is in the blue counties. That's, that's without question. The funny thing is, is, uh, if based upon the amount of COVID cases or COVID mortalities that were listed, the, the red states did a better job per their population. So COVID was not the issue in the red red counties, per, and then this is based upon uh, the 2016 election map. So just put that in your uh, put that in your factoid of numbers uh, uh, statistics, and that is presented in my book very clearly. I, I'm not going to go into all the the different numbers there, but I broke it down by the six metropolitan areas. Uh, obviously, the blue states or the blue counties. They're heavily skewed in, in metropolitan area size. And everybody will say, well, that's due to population density. You don't understand what you're talking about. It's not just that. The blue, the blue states are supposed to have better hospitals. They have more hospitals. They have more supposed technology. Uh, uh, I, I don't know how many times a, a liberal slam red states or red country doctors and say how stupid and ignorant they are. Well, if they were so stupid and ignorant, they certainly did a better job on the, quote, health crisis of 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 the century which it isn't by the way it, it would it, we have we are nowhere near the spanish uh, spanish flu of course not yet and the reason why i can say not yet is because you've uh, unleashed this asinine vaccine uh uh propaganda piece that may wind up causing far more deaths down the road than what they're doing right than what we have right now and of course, people will say, "Oh no, that's due to the to the variants and the new thing." They don't know what what caused it. And when we, by the time we figure out what caused it, it'll be all over because all these dumbass, dumbass, bought and paid for communist doctors who who got involved in this situation, who got on TV and sold this lie to everybody, are part and parcel to the entire problem. And as we found out, as I found out. Many of these universities are bought and paid for by Bill Gates in terms of their medical universe, the medical universities that are in the top 50 in the country <clears throat> have a get received substantial grants from him and all his grants are tied to health and medical uh, so you can imagine that he buys buys the research he needs and then that that research gets propagated out and that's the reason why you have so many of these people these talking uh, talking point media doctors who uh, provided all this evil to us. Last but not least, uh, uh, the there is the Mind Geek Pornhub criminal case that got released uh, on the seventeenth. I was notified by this by a, a lady who's on um, a Twitter, who's a good friend, I guess you could say, from where we met. Uh, she runs uh, the site Some Bitch Some Bitch I Know. And some bitch told me <laughs> she's uh, she's quite a character. But anyway, uh, and she's got a lot of insights on uh, the Cuomo cases and whatnot. But anyway, so anyway, I looked up on Pacer this uh, complaint that was dropped uh, regarding uh, the situation. 
Uh, it's called. It's, it was released in the United States District Court, Central District of California, case number 221CV4920. So the plaintiffs are MindGeek, S-A-R-L, a foreign entity, MG Free Sites, a foreign entity, MindGeek USA, Incorporated, a Delaware Incorporation, and a host of other uh, names and subsidiaries, and a various number of people uh, that are listed. I've included a link in the description, but on one of the pages, pages 81, or let's say page 80, so in 2004, Jane Doe number one was transported to Florida, where she was introduced to Jeffrey Epstein and other men. Jane Doe number one was directed to give Epstein massages, which the New York Times explained was known a known code word for sex among Epstein's inner circle. She was transported to Epstein's properties in New York, Palm Beach, Florida, and his private island, Little St. James in the United States, the Virgin Islands, which she visited on multiple occasions. This went on through her middle school and high school years and ended right before she started college. So I died. I just bring that out because I thought it was, um, let's just say, enlightening. So yeah, she was uh, involved, she was assaulted multiple occasions, and it started, I guess, on about ten when she turned ten years old. It's disgusting. Um, I put the whole case in also. So as uh, also in this lawsuit, uh, Visa is so uh, has been sued, and on paragraph four thirty two on page one twenty two of the complaint, as of this filing of the lawsuit, Visa continues to process payments for such content. So they were still processing their their money, and I find it quite interesting. And I, I put it in the link too. Uh, it just so happens that uh, it has been confirmed that Hunter, Hunter Biden has a Pornhub page. Now you'll say, well, he's not, and he's not listed in the lawsuit. Now let me clarify that for everybody. But what is important is if I were going and put this way, these uh, these particular people that are involved with this lawsuit as defendants are probably going to look for anything they can do use to turn over to uh, if and when they are either arrested, you know, whatnot. After this lawsuit, if they're arrested, the service of process. And they go through this case. It's a criminal complaint because the, the crimes that are listed on the front page are complaint violations of federal sex trafficking laws, a receipt, transport, and distribution of child pornography, racketeering, public disclosure of private facts, intrusion into private affairs, placing plans in a false light, common law misappropriation of likeness, statutory misappropriation of likeness. And they, some of these are California. Some of these are U.S. codes. Distribution of privately sexual explicit materials, California Civil Code, uh, negligence, un, unjust enrichment, unfair competition, civil conspiracy, and there's a demand for a jury trial in this. So we will sh- shall see what kind of tactic or motivations they use to get around this. But one of the, another page on this complaint in paragraph 109. While the Bro Club had daily operational control over MindGeek's business, they were not exclusively bosses. Also in control were the actual owners of MindGeek. Uh, the owners were comprised of a group of uber-wealthy individuals, families, and groups representing, represented by several former Goldman Sachs financiers. That's all anything you really need to know there. So we shall see what happens there. I'm going to end this uh, podcast right here. I think I've discussed a lot of different things. 
Um, I hope uh, everybody can have a good weekend as uh, we try to move ahead. And on a lasting note, um, I didn't mention it, but I did mention in the opening that they passed a federal holiday for Juneteenth. Now, I don't have a problem with them celebrating or remembering uh, the, the, the emancipation of the slaves. I think it's, uh, it was a dark part of our history, and I think we, uh, I, when I say dark part, you know what I mean. I'm using that terminology. But we, we have paid our prices for that particular situation. And I think the, the, the whole objective of this has nothing to do with uh, actual celebration. It's a, it's a divisive measure to create like multiple independence days. This is something the Marxists do all the time. And that's what we're being led by. We're being led by people who don't value the country they're in. They're actually traitors to the Constitution. They're traitors to the United States of America. They're traitors to what this country actually has accomplished. And the worst thing about it is, I understand some of the reasons why they feel like that because of the leadership we've had in the past 20 or 30 years. The Clintons, the Obamas, the Bushes have all destroyed this country. And their, their uh, minions that they have employed in the D.C. agencies who have no love for this country whatsoever are the most reprehensible bunch of human beings ever assembled in one particular place. They have power, but the only way they, the only way they can be uh, counterbalanced is, is if you take over your local, uh, local welfare, your, lo- your local systems, and do what you have to do to defend the Constitution at your local level. God bless the United States of America. And everybody, have a great day.